0: Like I, hold your head up high till you find the blue bird of happiness. You will find greater peace of mind knowing there's a blue of happiness. And Welcome to the Philip K. Dick book club. In each episode of this podcast, I look at one of the works of Philip K. Dick. And in this episode, I am taking a look at my, this is gonna be my second part of my review and coverage of Dick's 1964 novel, The Simulacrum. Uh, So if you're just joining us, I encourage you to go back and listen to the first um, episode where I examine chapters 1, 2, and 3, but uh, each episode of this novel will cover three chapters of the simulacrum. So this, this episode will look at chapters 4, 5, and 6. Um, in the first part of the simulacrum, we learned that uh, our society is divided into bays and, and gays, uh G-E's and B-E's. Uh, gays are holders of a certain knowledge called uh, the Gemini, I think I I, for, I have it written down here somewhere, but this knowledge is essentially that Der Alta is uh, who's like the president that people vote for is actually simply uh, a simulacrum, an android, uh, um, and the Erzot's human, and she but he marries quote unquote marries Nicole, who is the mm. actual seeming head of state and the the, the symbol of continuity that that people embrace. And she's to some people is a motherly figure and to some people she's very much a, a sex object. And sometimes she can be both to the to the same person. We learn that many people are, are living in Apartment complexes uh, in which they have have to stay in by studying and taking tests. And if they fail this test, they can lose their lease and be sent off um, out into the world. We learn also that there's a major political movement emerging on the outskirts of this society called the Sons of Job, led by a guy named Goltz and Goltz is a proto-fascist and he's very good at harnessing the energies of alienated young people or losers, people who lose their jobs. And thankfully we have no shortage of losers in this novel for groups like the Sons of Job to, to choose from. He doesn't actually recruit anyone, but you know, he gets close uh, a few times. So that's the main setting we have. Um, oh, we have also learned that, that the psychiatry has just been deemed illegal and thanks to the workings of the pharmaceutical conglomerate ag chimmy and so we meet egon superb who is the world's last practicing psychotherapist the reason he's allowed to practice is because the government wants one person to remain ill uh not get proper medical care instead send them to a a quack what in their view is a quack Uh, we also met nat flieger who is a man who is on a quest to get the last recording of the Increasingly insane, telekinetic perform- piano player uh, Richard Kongrosian. and we've met a pair of brothers, uh, Vince Strike Rock and his brother Chick Strike Rock. Uh, they both work for Simulacrum Companies, and Vince has just lost his wife. And she's shacking up with with Chick. And he's very resentful about that, even though he has a better, better job. And then we also met a man living also at the Abraham Lincoln Apartments with the Strike Rocks named Ian Duncan, who just feared he's going to lose his lease and lose his deposit and be sent off into the world. He thinks about emigrating, but he believes he has one last chance for happiness. And that is maybe by impressing Nicole at the talent shows and, and maybe getting invited to the White House to perform for for Nicole. Uh, the, the, the mother of us all if you will so that's what happens in the first three chapters essentially it's mostly just laying laying the groundwork you know as Dick always does in his early chapters so we can just jump right into to chapter four um, and to see what, what happens next well in chapter four we have three scenes and th- this is part of the character of the novel um, in fact a lot of Dick novels do this but um, this one in particular where you'll have in one chapter three or two or four different settings Sometimes radically different, sometimes connected, but often just, you know, he's just checking up on different characters um, at a pretty fast pace. Uh, so chapter four begins where we, we return to the character we met at the very beginning of the novel, Nat Flieger. He's the EME, uh, worked for the EME Music Recording Company, and he's with his colleague, Jim Plank. And, and they have this device, which is called the... The Ampec FA2, uh, which is a biotech which can record music, and that's what Nat likes to use for recording. And they're, of course, on this quest to record, to finish the contract they have with Richard Congrosian. They get this last recording from him before he's too insane to perform anymore because everyone thinks Congrosian is on the decline. So they're trying to get in uh, before it's too late. Uh, Plank, however, f- first talks to Nat about his frustration with using the Ampec FA-2, which he doesn't think is a really high-quality device, and he thinks you know they should get a more modern one. And then they also meet Molly Dandolo, who is like the boss's daughter. We don't really learn much about her background, but we learn that she's kind of a troublemaker. Nat and Jim Sierra is a bit of a troublemaker. She's, it, she's apparently tagging along because she likes music. But she's kind of a cynical figure. She's... She's kind of fun. I'm glad she's here. She doesn't do that much in the novel. And I mean, Dick doesn't do much with the character. He has this character in other stories, though, and he does better with it, with this type of character. Um, but here, she's just kind of hanging around. But she's there for kind of quips, and she's she's fun. Um, just kind of the sarcastic young teenager uh, who's always kind of commenting on things. So um, she's also kind of presented as a little bit frigid. Um, we we get a little bit, but not. There's not much in the novel about the background ecology of the, of it. But we are seeing they're traveling through areas that are being reforested. So we see a world that's kind of in the coming to recovery after a period of intense ecological devastation. They joke a little bit about congrosion, about a joke about him not having hands or something. But Molly's just sitting there reading a book by C. Wright Mills, and this is a book that's banned. And and it seems that like for Bayes. Book, a bunch of books are banned, but for gays, they can. And again, the big difference between the classes here is not really based on inca- income or wealth, although that that may be hinted at in the backdrop. But really, it's about that the gays have access to certain the secrets. And that includes access to reading. You know, you can read all the books. Um, they talk a little bit about Congrosian's past. Molly's mostly disinterested in, that, in the, his past. She's interested mostly in his music, and she's along, really, to hear the music. But the rumor is that Congrosian had, like, a mutant child or a monstrous child, and that's one reason he's kind of living out in a backwater area. One reason he, he doesn't really come out in public very much is because he has this kind of mutant kid. Molly, though, she really wants to meet Congrosian. Um, and that's it. They're just um, kind of joking with each other. Molly jokes about tormenting Nat. I'll just read this exchange. It lets you know about this character, Molly. Uh, Her smile increased. It's as if she was actually laughing at him, he thought. Could you handle him, make him do what you wanted? They both knew that, and it amused her. Do you want to marry me, Molly asked him. Are your intentions honorable in the old 20th century sense? Nat said, are yours? She shrugged. Maybe. I like monsters. I like you, Nat. You and your worm-like FA2 recording machine that you nourish and pamper, like a wife or a pet or both. I do the same for you, Nat said. All at once he felt Jim Plank watching him, and he concentrated on watching the earth below them. It obviously embarrassed Jim, this exchange. Plank was an engineer, a man who worked with his body, a mere bay, as Molly had called him, but a good man. Talk of this was tough on Jim. And Nat thought on me, the one of us who really enjoys it is Molly, and she really does. It's not an affection, or it's not an affectation. So that, that's that's this conversation. So they're, again, they're on this quest to find Richard Congrosion and they're going to be on this quest for the entire novel. This is followed by a very short scene with Chick just getting into an auto car, which is just essentially a, an automated car, a self-driving car. And he thinks about emigrating. He thinks about life on Ganymede. Um, and he has a very interesting quote here, which we almost got the sense of Kipple, uh, here, Kipple is a concept that emerges into Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, of course, but you see threads of it throughout a lot of his work. I, I think there's a lot of kind of human beings that Dick kind of classifies as Kipple. Uh, now, Kipple reproduces, but it's kind of I'm, not so much about whether it reproduces or not, but like garbage will reproduce. Right. That's the idea. But that or that garbage has a life of its own. But that there's people out there who are just kind of garbage right that that don't have a place in a world especially like in crack in space you see it certainly all of the characters in do Andrei dream of like a sheep are essentially kippalized um but this kind of tr- the, the trashiness underneath all of civilization um if you look you just scratch under the surface is, is there and he, so he he's thinking about discoveries of life on ganymede and this is what he thinks Old-time civilization, Chick said to himself. The next layer down, just on the verge of being uncovered by the auto shovels operating in the air, airless near weightless void amid space of the big planet moons. We're being robbed, he decided. The next layer down will be comic books, contraceptions, empty Coke bottles. And they, the authorities, won't tell us. Who wants to find out that the entire solar system has been exposed to Coca-Cola for a period of two million years? It was, to him, impossible to imagine a civilization, any kind of life form that has not contrived Coke. Otherwise, how could it authentically be called a civilization? But then he thought, I'm letting my bitterness get ahead of me. Mori wouldn't like it. Better curb it before I arrive. Bad for business. And we must have business as usual. That's the watchword of the day, if not the century. After all, that's really all that separates me from my younger brother. My ability to face fundamentals and not get lost in the maids of external rituals. And that's, that's it. Um, but he also destroys a flying commercial kind of bug thing so commercials come at you and this commercial is i think we got the company name yeah knits so knits they send these commercials out to people and i think they're almost like google ads because they they seem to go right to what people's anxieties are and this commercial says say haven't you sometimes said to yourself i bet other people in restaurants can see me and you're puzzled as to what this serious baffling problem of being conspicuous especially and then chick destroys it now, one character who's going to be highly affected by these ads is, is going to be congrosion as we'll see in future chapters. So, now we meet, in the third scene in Chapter 4, we meet Nicole. And this whole scene is a meeting between Nicole and the Prime Minister of Israel, a man named Emil... Um, Emil Stark. Sorry, I can't read my own handwriting sometimes. And they... they And they talk about the triumph time travel plot that's going on. And essentially, Nicole's telling the prime minister of Israel that they've chosen Gehring, Herman Gehring, right, who is the head of the Luftwaffe, high level Nazi, as the one to bring to their own time to to parlay with as it will. And actually, you know, I'm still not entirely sure how what this plan was supposed to do. I I don't know if Dick just wanted to bring Gehring into the plot somehow um, because he doesn't actually do that much. Um, Or if you wanted to talk about Nazism and needed a way to do it, I think this is actually one of the weaker parts of the novel, just because it's not really very well explained to what's entirely going on here. But the idea, I guess, so there's this commission called the Wolf Commission, which is behind this time travel stuff. And they have the Von Lessing technology, which is the time travel technology. And they said, we're going to bring Gehring. And it seems from the conversation with Stark that the goal here is basically to start Turn the change the course of the Third Reich. So they don't engage in World War Two. And therefore, this is an of interest to people like Gehring, because you can then show Gehring that you will lose the war. Hitler's Hitler's going to lose the war. So it's best not to get involved with it. And in doing so, save the lives of, of Jews. At least that's what Stark is interested in doing. Nicole, though, doesn't seem to like the plan. And we we see that Nicole seems to have limits to her power. She doesn't want to mess with the timeline. She doesn't want to mess with the past. So she's a little anxious about that. And she doesn't think Gehring is the right person to do it. But it seems saving the Third Reich and in doing so saving the lives of all these Jews is the goal here. And, you know, the fact that this society has so many fascist elements and you have a fascist movement rising up, maybe there's a goal here to keep you know, to make it so that the Nazi Germany never failed. You know, I'm not quite sure, but you know, there's a question that comes up, and I think Stark asked it: Is like, can the Third Reich even be saved? And Stark's of the opinion, obviously, it can't be saved because it's just like internally flawed. There's a that's why this this plan's not really going to work. Uh, but his main concern seems to be uh, saving these lives of the victims of the Holocaust. But interestingly. He at the end talks about going to Mars or Israel sending the first settlers to Mars to form the first kibbutzes in Mars. Which, if you remember from Martian time slip, there is a there are kibbutzes on Mars, and they're some of the most successful settlements on Mars. This isn't the same universe, though, obviously, because in Martian Timeslip it's the UN, not the, the the United Nations of Europe and America. Um, so it's a different political but maybe maybe and there's a political change maybe after the events of the simulacrum we can lead into the events of martian Slip. So, i don't know but the the idea of the kibbutzes of israel sending kibbutzes to be settlers on in in mars and in the the, the stellar frontier is is hinted at here and it, it's kind of interesting um, especially when we know from from the other novel that the, the jews are going to be the most successful settlers on mars so that's what's going on. Basically, it's a conversation between Stark and Nicole about Nazism, about this plot to bring Gehring to the future in order to somehow change the history of the Third Reich. And then Stark's um, image of. or Stark actually also talks about the dangers of what may come if, if we mess with the timeline too much. So anyway, so there's skepticism about that. So that's it. And then there's a little bit of talk here about Congrosion. Uh, where Stark even talks about it, and it it appears that Janet Reiner or Janet Raymer, she's the Nicole's like assistant, and she's the one who goes and finds these these performers to come to the White House, and she she is going to be bringing Congrosion soon to the White House. So that's all that really happens in Chapter Four. Then we go to Chapter Five. Chapter Five simply has two scenes. Uh, the The first is is Al Miller and alan miller is you know as we 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 realize pretty depressed he does he's kind of at the end of his chain he, he failed the exam but he for some reason was allowed to stay in the abraham lincoln apartments he doesn't quite know why but he wants to leave he's thinking about going to mars to emigrate and to go to the jalopies and in fact conveniently his old friend al miller You know is a salesperson at a Jalopy jungle who works for Looney Luke and so again these Jalopy jungles I talked about in the last episode they show up conveniently next to people who want to emigrate and they're one-way cheap Rockets that that will take you to Mars and but they can't take you back So they're for people who just want to leave. They're actually sort of illegal because Earth for every reason wants to control immigration Uh, so Looney Luke though and Nicole seem to have a deal worked out where he can operate and You know, but whatever He's he's still but they, they seem to come around and then they psychologically manipulate people with their advertising to convince people that Earth is crap. Earth is shit. And you have to get out of get out of Dodge. Um, so Al Miller, he arrives at the at the jalopy jungle where Al Miller is working. And he was going to talk to Al Miller about starting up this classical jug band they used to have. And with the hopes that maybe he'll get noticed by. Uh talent talent scout and get to go to the white house and see nicole and his life's you know dream will be revealed will, will, will be um, fulfilled and maybe you won't have to emigrate maybe he'll have a reason to live now we we see advertisement is being done through a papula a papula is an extinct martian creature um, now this is a simulacrum it's not a real one um, so we got like the recording device which is an alien and we got the papula here who seems to be a they seem to be psychic creatures, but they're all extinct. So they get remade into telepathic simulacrum. I, I, it's kind of wild, uh, but it's able to make a mental connection to people as they as they pass through and basically emotionally manipulate them the way the best ads might do, and convince people that they need to immediately buy a Jalopy and get off Earth. Um, you know, such a big life decision, but they're manipulated and so it's funny that you know we got kind of the new used car sales model right all of us are worried that if we go to a used car lot we'll leave with a car right uh, even if we weren't thinking of it and and that's kind of the way the shalapi jungles are our are, are model off of right and i guess the pulupa papula is the equivalent of whatever weird waving waving arm dude that they they have in front of the the used car lots um but anyways, he, uh, Al eventually goes and meets up with, with or Ian Duncan goes and arrives and meets up with Al. Or actually, I think Al is the point of view character, and then Ian shows up to talk with him. And he wants Al to start the classical jug band again and again. I just think about how hilarious this is. I actually looked up jugs, jug music and jug folk music or whatever, and there are people who play this. It's more like you you kind of buzz into it like a trumpet. And basically based on how you but you don't have notes, right? I don't know if you can poke holes in it or something, but it seems you just kind of play, you know, buzz into it, you know, with with your lips the way you would a trumpet or trombone and you get different notes. But it doesn't seem to have very much range and they don't sound very good. The idea of playing Schubert or Wagner on on jugs is, is wild, but maybe in the future they're able to develop the technology for classical jugs. Ian goes on about how frustrated he is with Earth, how he really doesn't have a future here, and Al just says, you know, why not buy a jalopy? He, he kind of almost tries to make a sale to to his friend here, which is kind of funny. Um, but so Al says you should you should emigrate. But there's a lot of anxiety about his future in the Abraham Lincoln Apartments. And again, he's just a character who doesn't know what to do with his life, and so he's taking one last chance to impress Nicole um, before before just giving up on Earth altogether. Now, to see how influenced Ian is by Nicole, at one point he actually thinks, you know, maybe the reason the world's so horrible is because Nicole is having sinus headaches. And apparently this is big news, that Nicole's having sinus headaches. And the fact that this can, like, affect the entire world is something that Ian seems to take very seriously. And he's not the only one, it seems. A lot of characters put give Nicole this kind of quasi-supernatural like supernatural mystical power it, it i mean everyone's in love with her certainly either as a mother or as a but either the mother or a potential lover um but it, it's kind of fascinating that dick imagined this and i don't know if any celebrities have that same power i, I think we, we kind of recycle our celebrities so quickly these days that no one will have this but you know in dick's days celebrities stuck around a little bit longer i think and who knows but I like the idea of making a celebrity the, the true head of state. I guess England does it with the queen and the royal family. But anyways, uh, at the end of the chap or end of the section, Al just agrees. Yeah, I'll get out my jug and we'll try it one more time. Um, then we move to to Chick. Um, Chick Strike Rock, who as we just saw last in the last chapter was driving to work. Now he gets to work at Frau Zimmer's Associates. And this is a company that is falling apart. He likes working at small businesses, though. He likes, you know, the, the environment, the casual nature of it. It's a very, very small business, though, and, and they make erzox humans or simulacrum humans. Now, their main business is making um, f- like simulated families that will be bought by emigres to Mars because Mars doesn't have any people and you kind of live off by yourself on Mars, that you would actually then build a house and put a family in that house to be your neighbor. So these are simulated neighbors that would just kind of turn on the lights at night and you can say, oh, what are the drones doing? Maybe I'll go have a beer with them. You know, they're the perfect neighbors because you don't actually have to care about them because they're robots, but they're there when you need them, right? They're there if you need someone to talk to or to, to, to watch the game with or to play, you know, to smoke with or whatever. Really cool idea. That's their main business. But anyways, Frau Zimmers is, is going out of business. They're they're really failing. And and Mari, the boss, Mari Frau Zimmer, basically tells Chick, "You're you're fired, dude. It's not because I hate you. It's not you're bad. It's just I can't afford to keep you on. The business is just too bad." He eventually decides to keep him for a you know for a for a bit, and he says like, "Well, I guess who cares, right? If I keep you on, I'll go out of business a few days early. It doesn't really matter." Um, And then he goes on to this long rant about how the entire world is in decline, which is something Ian Miller had just said, blaming it on Nicole's sinus headaches. And his proof, Maury's proof that the world's going to hell is the newspaper. And he's got this, you know, this it's it's just so wonderful that Dick included this. It's it's beautiful stuff. Uh, He starts to read the newspaper article to him. And he says, so the headline is, um, I'm trying to find it here. Okay, here's what he says. He says, the whole world's coming to an end. It's not just us, chick. It's not just Frau Zimmer Associates. Listen to this item in today's paper. The body of Orly Short, maintenance man, was discovered in the bottom of a six-foot vat of gradually hardening chocolate at the St. Louis Candy Company. He raised his head. You get that? Gradually hardening chocolate. That's it. That's the way we live. I'll continue. Short, 52, failed to come home from work yesterday and... Okay, Chick interrupted. I understand what you're trying to say. It's one of those times. Exactly. Conditions are beyond any individual's power. It's just when you got to be fatalistic, you know, resign-like. I'm resigning to see Fraud Zimmer Associates close forever. Frankly, that's next. Then he goes on with the story, reading the story. Brother-in-law, Antonio Costa, drove to the candy factory to discover that three feet down in the chocolate, St. Louis police said... Maury savagely closed the newspaper. I mean, how are you going to go to work in an event like that? It's just too damn dreadful. It unhinges you, and the worst part of it's so dreadful it's almost funny. End quote. So that's that's the story of, of chocolate, which becomes a metaphor for the decline of the whole world. The world decline is the hardening, uh, the slowly hardening of chocolate. Um, okay. So that that's chapter five. Just two quick scenes where we meet a couple of our losers. Um, Now, Chick kind of diverted being a total loser for a little while because he's able to keep his job for a bit. But Ian is certainly on his last hope, hoping that Nicole will be interested in hearing his classical jug music. All right. Chapter six, the last chapter I'll look at today. So in chapter six, we we have two scenes, um, both sort of connected to Congrosian. First, we actually do get to meet uh, Richard Congrosian for the first time. And then our second scene is going to be Nat, Molly, and Jim on their way to the Congrosians, and their kind of interesting little quest um, to, to find Richard. So, But first we meet Congrosian, and he thinks about the McPherson Act, and he's very much bothered by that because he relies on psychotherapy. So he's the first patient we, we, we really meet. We did get one early in the first chapter, a patient, um, but he's the first guy who really sees psychotherapy. And he's very bothered by the fact that he won't be able to have a a doctor help him with his mental problems and essentially what he does is he takes the the nits ads the ones he hears um, and there's two that he gets one is about being invisible about his or being too conspicuous the same one that chick heard and then there's one about body odor that he gets constantly bombarded with and he takes these things to be psychic truce and he, he starts to actually think he's got this overpowered even deadly scent emanating from his body and later on he's going to think that he's invisible and no one can see him so he calls it like a phobic body odor uh, he seems to know it comes from the ads and he seems to know it's it's a mental problem but he also thinks it's real and can affect people and he even thinks it can affect people through the phone like people on the phone can smell him and, and at one point he even imagines that maybe he can use this phobic phobic body odor as a weapon against A.G. Chemi for their support of the law, the McPherson law, which makes it impossible for him to go to a psychiatrist to get his mental health care that he needs because of his phobic body odor. Um, he does call the White House, at, at, you know, and Janet is trying to reassure him because Nicole needs him to perform at the White House and needs him to be basically sane. And, you know, Janet is trying to just essentially make him feel feel good about himself he he realizes that superb is still allowed to practice and he realizes he can go and see dr. Egon superb and so he's lucky that way he can still get his some of his mental health care but as he's calling Nicole he thinks about his this body odor thing I just it gets funny to read Uh, it's I don't know if any other writer could do this Uh, quote he he liked Janet who was middle-aged had a vague sense of humor and was cheerful how could he bear to have Janet detect the terrible body odor which the commercialist passed on to him. It was an impossible situation and Kongrosian sat hunched over the table in the center of the room clenching and clenching his fist trying to think what to do. Perhaps he could call her on the phone but the odor, he believed, could be transmitted along phone wires. She would detect it anyhow and so that was no good. Maybe a telegram. No, the odor would have moved from, that, from him to that too and to Janet. In fact, this phobic body odor could contaminate the entire world. Such, at least, was theoretically possible. End quote. There's going to be a novel we're going to look at pretty soon called Dr. Blood Money, which was a character who thinks that his psychoses can affect the whole world. Um, So he's going to develop that a little bit more here. Uh, So he decides to go to see Dr. Egon Superb to help him deal with his his problems. He does first, though, he calls A.G. Chemi as kind of a prank call where his ultimate goal is to. Well, he's calling for an antidote to his phobic body odor. He he basically says, you're a chemical company, so make something that can get rid of my body odor. And he's hoping they'll send it to him. But he also is hoping under the surface that he can get revenge on A.G. Chemi A.G. Chemi by spent sending his phobic body odor to them through the phone lines. Um, eventually, though, uh, Judd, who worked for A.G. Chemi, says, I want to meet you, Congrosian. And, and he agrees to meet Congrosian in person. I don't think that meeting ever happens because Congrosian kind of goes off the rails. Later in the story. Okay, so that's the first scene. And, and the second scene is is Matt, Nat, Nat, Molly, and Jim heading for the congrosions. And they, they again, they have to kind of go to this backwater place uh, out, in the, out in some kind of reclamated sector. right? It's, it's a kind of a place that I think has been ecologically devastated. No one lives there anymore, so it's kind of rural, but it's also kind of slumish. There's all these old artifacts like gas stations and things. Um so anyways, they, they they're gonna head to the Congrosions and they have to go through this kind of area of of the country. And they get a auto cab that arrives and they ask them it's to take him to the Congrosian house. And Nat wonders more and more about why anyone would live in this area. It's not just that congrosians are reckless. He he's not living just like in the nice mountain resort or something. He's actually choosing to live in a backwater slum and you know, the the you, you're forced to think about these rumors that Grosian has like a mutant child and maybe he's trying to hide from from people entirely by being in the worst possible location. Here's how it's described. We're the entertainment, Nat decided. There certainly did not appear to be much else. The town now looked as it must before the fracas of 1980. The stores had tinted glass and plastic fronts now chipped and disrepair beyond belief. And by a huge abandoned obsolete supermarket, he saw an empty parking lot, space for surface vehicles which no longer existed. For a man of ability to live here, Nat decided, it must be a form of suicide. It could only be a subtle self destructive self destructiveness that would cause congrosion, to leave the vast and busy urban complex of Warsaw, one of the brightest centers of human activity and communication in the world, to come to this dismal, rain drenched, decaying town. Or a form of penance? Could that be to punish himself for God knews what? Perhaps something to do with his special birth son, assuming what Molly said was correct. Do these people along these deteriorating streets know who lives among them, Nat wondered? Perhaps not. Probably Congrosian keeps to himself, lives with his family, ignores the community. A recluse who wouldn't be up, or a recluse and who wouldn't be up here. And if they did know Congrosian, they would be suspicious of him because he was an artist and because he was also a a psi. It was a double burden to bear. No doubt his concourse with these people. When he bought at the local grocery store, he eliminated his psychokinetic faculty and used his manual extremities like everyone else. Unless Congrosian had even more courage than Nat realized. End quote. So that's that's Nat's thinking about this. Oh, by the way, this psychic powers you actually see the in the Congregation scene. He dials the phone with his psychic powers, and you know all this. So it's all he just sits in his chair the whole time, and he's able to do all this just with his with his teak power. So it's kind of fun. Um, so that's that, and then they see in this place of all places a neo-Nazi mob. Now we we realize later on that Goltz, has control of the Von nerve principle. So he's able to time travel. So maybe like, maybe Luke does too. That's why the jalopy jungles can be where people who want to emigrate are. Um, but Goltz is able to like put this mob where he wants it to be f- at a particular moment, I guess. Because it seems an odd place to have this. Or maybe it's because the people living in this, these kind of slums really don't have a future. And so they're the prime candidates to, be, to join up with uh, Sons of Job. So, but Goltz was actually at this particular neo-Nazi rally. The kind of the new right, alt-right. These are the alt-right folks. In fact, there's so much in common here with the alt-right that it's kind of amazing. Um, Now, the reason Goltz can move around is time travel. And and Dick here plays with the concept of how time travel can make, make someone immortal because you can always know when you're going to be assassinated or when you're going to be killed and then shape your life to fix that. If you can see in the future you're going to get cancer, then you get early cancer treatment, right? If you see you're going to be hit by a car, you can change things using time travel so you don't get hit by the car. So you can essentially set it up so you don't die. Um, Maybe you can't hold it off forever, but uh, Goltz is able to do that. So they eventually meet up with Goltz, this little party of of EME recorders, eventually meet up with Goltz. Uh, he knows Flieger and he knows his and he knows his mission is to see Congrosion. Goltz then says, well, you're not going to be able to record Congrosion now, but why don't you record me? You know, I'll give you a, a 30 minute spoken spoken word album where I'll go on my Nazi rants, my fascist rants, and you can then sell it to you know, as a record. And then Nat Flieger says, well, no, I'm not going to give credence to your anti-Semitic nonsense. And Gold says, what are you talking about? I'm a Jew. And he says, I'm only opposed to Derault and the Alta system. Then the Derault are the real inher- inheritors of the Nazi power and the system of Nazi rule. And so now we maybe this helps put the context the, the effort of of the government to. To maybe save the Nazi regime and, and this whole meeting with with uh, Goering gives, you know, maybe it's all about not necessarily saving Jews, because even Stark is a bit skeptical that that's the real agenda, but maybe it has a lot more to do with, you know, perpetuating, uh, keeping Nazi rule and power, and is I'm just against that stuff. Um, and Flieger is, in, Flieger is invited into the, the movement, so he's another character who's at least tempted. He's, not, he's probably the least likely to join. Ian and Chick are much more likely to join uh, the Sons of Job, actually, but he's invited in. And Goltz is just pleased that he's able to put the movement in into a new light, uh, in his meeting with Flieger. So it's a it's 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 rather interesting, but what we have here is the idea of with the the discussion of Goltz being immortal is essentially about the immortality of the right. And I think the way D- what Dick is doing with this Is suggesting kind of the perpetuation Of, of the, the radical right That it's never going to go away It's always going to be with us And you know of course it's symbolized here by Goltz as a time traveler Who's able to use time travel to keep alive And the, the fact that the Deralta Is inheriting the Nazi Past and then this whole effort to keep The, the Third Reich Alive by getting rid of Hitler Or, or kind of ass- They have to try to assassinate him That was the earlier strategy Now they're trying to deal with Goering to do this Anyways, there's this idea here that the right is always surviving. And, of course, you have this maybe in The Man in the High Castle um, and some other works, too. Just the, the, the essential idea that the, the right wing is going to always be with us. It's not something we can get away from. And I think that's something that's been proven to be historically true. We're seeing the rise of neo-Nazis today. Uh, we, we have the alt-right. We have Jordan Peterson, we have Richard Spencer and these people, and they're becoming more and more powerful and more and more um, influential uh, among people. And they often attract these disaffected young people, the same kind of people who get attracted to the sons of Job in this book. So a bit, a bit frightening and it's parallels to our own time, I'd have to say. So that does it for my, my, the second part of my coverage of the simulacrum. Uh, So in the next episode, I'll look at chapters 7, 8, and 9. As always, I'll be looking at, for this book at least, looking at three chapters at a time. So thank you as always for listening. If you have your own comments about this, is there anything I missed, anything I should say more about, or anything you think I I misinterpreted or looked at oddly, please leave your comments below and send me an email or send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. So uh, that's it. Thanks so much for... For uh, listening, and I'll be back next time with part three of my review oh, of the single you must till you find the blue You will find peace and contentment forever. If you